This morning's reading comes from James chapter 3, verses 1 to 18. Taming the tongue. No, may, not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that he who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is, if anyone is never at faith in what he says, but he is perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and they are driven by a strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what is great forest, sorry. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a word of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, the whole person, set the whole course of his life on fire, and it itself is set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a resentless evil filled of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in, man's like, in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth came, came praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water, salt, and water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives? or a grapevine bear figs. Neither can the salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in all huma humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or, or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, or of the evil, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from the heaven is first of all pure, then peace loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow the peace, rise in harvest in righteousness. These words, amen. amen. Thanks, Marina. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable to you, our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, after a few weeks break, um, where we um, have been 
treated to, to different folk preaching from us, from Ian last week to the moderator a few weeks before. We want to return back to the book of James. And if, if you remember, this book is very practical. It's asking us questions about how we live out our, our Christian faith. Um, James, his big thing is, well, if you've got faith, you better show it. I better see it in your life being transformed or otherwise it's dead. The book of James takes for granted the gospel. Some people have read it frustrated that there's not an awful lot about the resurrection, the death of Jesus, his coming, all these things are not really there. But remember that James was almost certainly Jesus' brother. And he'd come to believe in Jesus as, as Lord, as Messiah, and he'd come to believe in that because he'd met the risen Jesus. So James presumes all the things that we should believe and then begins to work out what does it mean to follow that through? What does it mean to be a servant, a follower of the Lord Jesus, who didn't only do all these things, but taught all these things? Faith without works is dead. But faith that is worked out will be a faith that transforms how we live, how we treat each other, how we value the poor and the people that God loves. And we've seen that as we've gone through the book of James. Well, today James has us in his surgery, as it were, like a, a doctor, a GP, and he's wanting to see and check if us a health check, are we healthy? And of course, if you go to the doctors with a problem these days, they have all sorts of modern technology to see into you, don't they? The, the, the endoscopes and the x-rays and the scans and all the rest of the things. But James does something which doctors used to do to see what's going on inside. He says, will you stick out your tongue and say, ah. And just as he looks at your tongue, he's able to say, if you're healthy, will you stick out your tongue? And so today is all about the tongue, the words that we use. And much in what Marina was reading there is, is making one very simple point, one point that is really quite obvious, actually, is that words are really, really powerful. That's why he starts off with saying, not many of you should be teachers or preachers, because, well, for a start, preachers use a lot of words, sometimes far too many. Lots and lots and lots of words. But why do they do that? Because we, the people of God, we, the followers of Jesus, believe that words are powerful. That's why we preach. Preaching, we believe, changes lives. If, if, if I didn't believe that the word of God that we preach changes lives, then why on earth would we be doing it? Paul talks about the foolishness of preaching. It can seem crazy that somebody just standing up and speaking these words has that power, but somehow God has put that power into his word proclaimed that it begins to change lives. But James says something that's absolutely terrifying here for those of us that preach. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Why is that? Well, I'd want to suggest in context, it's simply because of this. Preachers use more words, and therefore they have more influence. And I think James wouldn't just be concerned about the quality of the words that would be used. It would be, how are those words played out? 
in the lives of those that preach. And by the way, that's not just ministers. That would go for the awesome responsibility that lies on those that teach our young in the Sunday school or the boys' brigade or wherever else we do it. And increasingly in the church, we're going to be having to say, it's not just ministers doing this, but, but many of us will be called to preach, whether it's Alec taking a service last week for us or it's, it's, it's other folk teaching in a small group or wherever it is as we share this faith together. It's an awesome responsibility that we have to use words. And as James speaks here, there are echoes of something that his brother Jesus said in Matthew 12, 36, and this should terrify all of us. Jesus said this, everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word spoken. Yikes. <laughs> every word every word I've ever said, every word you've ever said, every roll of the eyes, every nark in the morning. Why? Because those words are powerful. And our Bible tells us that from the beginning, isn't it? Right at the beginning, the whole of creation is brought into being by what? A word. In the beginning was a word. Or Genesis has it in a different way where God said, let there be and there was. Words created a reality. And then God gave his law in words. The beginning of the Ten Commandments begins, and God spoke all these words, words that brought life. Proverbs says, 18 verses, verse 21, life and death are in the power of the tongue. Words. And again, in, in, in James here, it talks about how a little bit controls a whole ship. How a little rudder moves a ship. How a little bit controls a horse. How a spark can set a forest on fire. The point again, words. Words really make a difference. But see, here's the thing. This isn't some strange theological point. You go and say, oh, we learned that in church today. The words make a difference. I never knew that before. <laughs> you know, because this is life. This is the life that we all know. We are all the people we are today because of words that have been spoken to us throughout our lives, for bad and for good. The words of preachers, the words of Sunday school teachers, the words of those that led us in faith, but also the accumulation of everything that every parent, every teacher, every person around us has spoken to us. Words that have affirmed us and told us that we are loved or words that have ripped us down. Affirming words and painful words, the words of parents and spouses, and teachers and preachers. And sometimes words can be toxic, can't they? You raise a child on words that keep telling the child, you are useless, you are stupid, you are nothing. And it will scar that child in ways that cannot be undone with one or two words in the other direction. That is why there is an awesome responsibility. And see that when it says not many of you should be teachers because the teachers have that awesome responsibility? Yes, school teachers, you too. It's a privilege, but it's also an awesome responsibility because here we are, each one of us, and we bear the scars of toxic things that people have said to us, toxic things that people have said about us, and some of those things that are going to take God a whole lifetime to sort out because of the damage that's been done. And I know some folk here today will be thinking of things that have been done and said to them. Toxic words break things. A society, 
can be broken if we stop trusting the words of our governments. Why it matters that there's truth in public office. If we stop trusting what we read in the papers or in the newspapers, if people start believing things because they don't know who to trust, then the whole fabric of our society and our community begins to unravel. Toxic words can break relationships, can't they? We all know this. Something we've said that's hurt a friend dearly and it's been almost impossible, sometimes impossible, to fix that. The ways we've spoken about people or to people. A culture that can emerge in any organization, be it a church or a workplace or a school or wherever we are, that becomes a culture of grumbling, of complaining, of doing down the bosses. And equally, the bosses sniping at the workers, and so the whole thing begins to come apart. A culture of cynicism where everybody's suspicious that begins to cause problems. Words that seem to want to pick a fight with everybody the whole time. You know that when you've said something and it's almost in a, in a culture where... Bang, words that put people in their place. Words that discourage people. Words cause wars and suicides, they destroy marriages and families, they destroy morale, they destroy confidence, and they destroy churches too. James, when Jesus said that every word would come under judgment, there is a sense that not only was he saying what would happen in the day of judgment, but he was speaking about right now, because every word we speak has consequences now. And I haven't said anything that you don't know is true, have I? sometimes to our pain. And then there's that thing we tell children. Be careful what you tell children after you've said, you read this and nothing else. Sticks and stones will break your bones, but names will never hurt you. Why does anybody ever say that? It's a lie. And the thing is, we all know it. Why? Because we've all got little bumps on us where sticks and stones have hurt us occasionally, where somebody's bashed us with something and it's healed. We've all got very deep wounds, hard wounds, which were inflicted by words. They leave us insecure. They leave us unsure of who they are. We leave us discouraged. And here's the trouble when you have been wounded by words is that you then use words to solve the problem. And, and what we tend to do, because we're feeling deep down insecure, and all of us feel this, is we try to use words to big ourselves up. We boast. Or if we don't boast, we, we use words to, to, to hold people off, to be defensive, to make sure nobody sees, nobody reveals. And then we find ourselves using words to knock other people down who seem to be getting big so we can bring them down to where we are so that we don't feel so bad. And churches are dreadful at that as well. Where, who does he think he is? Why is he doing that? It's so obvious, isn't it? Hurting people, hurting people. And the dilemma is spelt out for the believer in, in verse 9 here, with the same tongue we praise our Lord and Father and we curse human beings that are made in his image. We come into church and we praise God. And that's not just because we like singing. It's because we're about truth. We praise God because we say things that are true about him, that create a new reality about his love 
about his goodness, about all that he's made, about the gospel and all that he's done for us. And we speak these words of truth, and we know that they are true, and we want to say true things, and we speak it out. But then we take the very thing that God loves, other human beings, and we say words. Here's the thing for Christians. If we believe in truth, then we should speak it. That means no half-truths, no evasions, no spin, no putting the best gloss on it, no being, what is it they call it, economical with the actuality, and words like that that we see in society. We speak the truth, and we seek integrity in everything that we do. But the other thing is that we do that reflecting the God we praise who is about truth, but also the fact that that God is about love. And so we seek to, as Paul says, to speak the truth in love. We speak the truth in order to build up. Even if I'm rebuking someone, it needs to come out of love, wanting to build them up, wanting to put them right, wanting to correct them, wanting to let them heal and and soar and, and know the Lord Jesus. That's the challenge for us. But the problem is, and James is quite, if you read, go back and read James 3, because he's quite blunt about this. He says, in one side, he says, the tongue is really, really powerful, so watch what you say. But then he sort of says, nobody's controlled the tongue. It's like a wild beast. And you think, well, so why are you telling us this, James? You're telling us this so we might watch what we say, but you're then telling us it doesn't matter because you're going to say the wrong things. And he then says, the tongue reveals the heart. And you think, gosh, what does that say about my heart? Um, something I was reading from one preacher who, who had said, give your congregation a challenge, tell them to try to keep this tongue being pure and tongue being loving when they go out from church. But I could challenge in that, couldn't I? Would it last 10 minutes? Anyone think they'd get to lunchtime? That's only because you live alone. <laughs> you know, not a hope. So what do we do with this if it's impossible? Back to the psalm that we read at the beginning. The last verse of it said this, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've hidden your word, word in my heart, your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And at one level, that is God's word, that God's word that tells us what to do, that God's word that tells us that we should love, or God's word that tells us that we should not bear false witness, that we shouldn't lie that word in our hearts, but I think it's much more than that because if it was just a word of command, we would find it impossible and it wouldn't stop us sinning. But it's also this. God's word to me is his word of love. His word that says all the things that the people have said about me that put me down and tore me down, all the insecurities that were left that made me want to big myself up with words or rip other people down, I don't need any of those because all I need is God's word of truth. James began in in chapter 1 verse 18 by saying he gave us his word of truth. It brought us to birth as believers. That word that created the whole universe, that was spoken through the law and the prophets, the word that became flesh and dwelt among us in Jesus. The word that spoke these words of truth about how we should live. The word that died on the cross for me. And you know, here's the thing. 
As Jesus was dying on the cross, and he looked to his father for that affirmation that he'd received at his baptism, that you're my son and I love you, what was he met with? Silence. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you silent when I so need you? And here is what the gospel is saying. Jesus took the Father's silence that I deserve. That I might hear the Father's words of affirmation that I could never deserve. You are my child, my beloved. With you I am well pleased. That word that tells me I'm adopted as his child, that I am loved, that I am forgiven, that I've been given the Holy Spirit that's enabled me to cry from my heart, Abba, Father, that has touched my tongue that I might speak God's word. If I have hidden that word in my heart, then it doesn't matter what other people say about me. I don't need to big myself up or boast or or spin the reality to make myself look good, and we all do that. I don't need to use my words to bring you down so that I feel better. I don't need to do any of that because that word has brought life to me. That word made flesh has shown me how much he loved me, has touched me that I might speak a different way. I have received from him this amazing gift. And that releases us to speak in a different way. Hide the word of God in your hearts, what he says about you, and let that release you from all the things that you find yourself saying. God be in my head and in my understanding. God be in my eyes and in my looking. God be in my mouth and in my speaking. God be in my heart and in my thinking. God be at my end and in my departing. Amen.